Welcome to Confessing the Faith, a podcast devoted to discussions concerning Christian doctrine and the Christian life. Uh, my name is Joe Anity. I serve as pastor at Emmaus Reformed Baptist Church in Hemet, California. And yes, uh, we are now Emmaus Reformed Baptist Church and not Emmaus Christian Fellowship. I guess I'll have to take uh, some time in another episode to explain uh, why uh, that is. But I'm joined today by Pastor Steve Markadont, who serves as pastor of Sovereign Grace Baptist Church in Ontario, California. Steve, thank you uh, so much for taking the time to speak with me today. Oh, glad to do so, Joe. Thank you. Yeah. I'm looking forward to this episode, Steve. Uh, the title of it is The History of SCAR BC, which stands for the Southern California Association mm-hmm. of Reformed Baptist Churches. And and that is what Steve has agreed to provide us with today, a history of SCAR BC, of which uh, both of our churches are a part. Um, Steve, mm-hmm. I, I was wondering, um, before we get to uh, the association and the history of it, I wonder if you'd be willing to tell us a bit about your own history, uh, your your own history personally, and also the history of uh, Sovereign Grace Baptist Church. Um, uh, perhaps you could begin by just telling us a bit about your family, Steve. Yeah, well, I've got, um, I've actually have five children, but my firstborn died um, after 52 days in the hospital, and uh, that was um, probably 36 years ago. My, but by God's grace, I've got four children. Three of them are married. All of them are converted, and um, the married ones, all of their spouses are converted. And in fact, at the moment, uh, all of the seven are members of the church here at Sovereign Grace. So that's a great blessing. However, my oldest son is moving to Tucson, uh, Lord willing. Got hired on by the police department there, and he's in academy right now. Hmm. So if that all works out, by God's grace, they'll be moving to Tucson and, and going to Tucson Reformed Baptist Church. Oh, wow. That'll be quite a change for them, and and what a blessing it is to have uh, your children and and in-laws in the church, uh, your Mm -hmm. children-in-law in in the church. What about your wife, Steve? Tell us about her. Oh, Becky is a a dear, dear girl. We actually met in Hawaii. Well, I knew her before, but uh, we met on a missions trip in Hawaii. There were about 60 of us that went over there to do vacation Bible schools, Mm -hmm. and I'm about two years older than she is, and I was leading one of the studies, and... um, got a chance to to get to know Becky better. To me, she was just a little kid, but uh, over in Hawaii, I started looking at her a little differently, you know, and uh, she always looked young for her age, and so my roommate there in Hawaii told me, you can't, you can't uh, go out with her. She's just a little kid, so I was scared. I didn't know how old she was, so I asked her, and she said, I'm 16, that I was happy, and it was okay, because <laughs> I was 18, you know, sure, so... Sure. So um, we were boyfriend and girlfriend from that time. It was uh, before anybody heard about courting. We were married 41 years. Uh, yeah, it'll be 42 this year. Been married 41 years. Dear woman of God, I love her very much. And uh, I couldn't be a pastor without her, to tell you the truth. She is a tremendous help. I see Becky at uh, some of the quarterly gatherings, and uh, it seems to me every time I see her, she has a little baby in her arms. Is no, that- she does. <laughs> <laughs> She's a child magnet is what she is, and children just love her. And amazingly enough, I've been in the church here since 1977, and of course we were married, and so we got married in 76, came to the church here in 77. She took over the two- and three-year-old class and she has been the only teacher of that class and is still the teacher of that class. 
Oh, wow. So there's a lot of adults in our church, a few adults, um, that uh, went through that two- and three-year-old class. And then they put their own kids through that two- and three-year-old class. And we're waiting for some grandkids to, to go through that <laughs> class. <laughs> oh, wow. That is really but, precious. Yeah. <laughs> Steve, how did you come to faith in Christ? Well, I was raised in a Christian home, but um, my, my testimony was kind of stark. I would hear – I was in a, a fundamentalist church, and I would hear the, the preaching every week. And uh, just as a second grader, um, I was quite cognizant of things. And um, I had um, a couple of friends at school that we used to like to tell off-color jokes and speak inappropriately and whispers and giggle and think that was really funny. And I knew if I was a Christian, I couldn't do that. And uh, so I, in my mind, purposed, okay, I'll, I'll wait till summer comes. I won't see my friends. I can be saved at that time. And, um, and uh, then, then there won't be a problem. Well, that's what a little second grader thought. But um, actually, I was lying in bed one night and just became terrified, terrified of hell terrified with no audible voice or anything like that, but just the thought, um, you know, if, if you don't come to Christ now, what makes you think you'll ever come to Christ? And I ran downstairs, talked to my mom. She did the best she could to help me. She was a new Christian herself. So, you know, from that time on, um, the Lord uh, the Lord did save me. And um, I was able to go to my friend's uh, the next day at school and tell them, look, I don't talk that way anymore. I don't want to. And they said, oh, fine. No problem. And uh, we remained friends. So. <laughs> so all of that as a second grader, huh? As a second grader, yeah. <laughs> it was a very stark, stark experience wow. that I still remember, to tell yeah. you the truth. I, I can remember it like it was yesterday. Yeah. So it was, a, it, was a great, it was a great conversion experience that the Lord gave me. Not everybody gets an experience we're not saved by experience. We're saved by Christ. And uh, everybody's testimony may be a little bit different, but everybody's testimony is always going to be the same, that uh, they looked to Jesus Christ and, and uh, sought him in faith and repented of their sins. Amen. And, and how was it that you were called to the ministry? Well, in, in the church I was in that I was talking about, everybody had to go to Bible college. That was just it. If you didn't go to Bible college, you're, you know, second class or whatever. You know, and I don't think they meant it that way, but that's just the way the pressure was. And I refused for a year. Um, I wanted to be a computer programmer. In high school, you know, they used to give aptitude tests. I don't think they do that anymore. But they did aptitude tests to find out what we were good at. And I remember talking to my counselor, and um, when I chose computer programming, he said, that's perfect for you. That's what you need. He said, whatever you do, don't deal with people. That's, that's going to be very bad for you. you know? <laughs> and I believed him. And I was very shy. Um, still I'm shy. But I was very shy and um, avoided every speech class in high school. But after a year of computer programming, I decided, okay, I'll go to Bible college for one year. I'll go to Bible college one year, then I'll finish up at the University of Arizona computer programming. And that's what I'll do for a living. Well, I was at... Uh, at college, Pacific Coast Baptist Bible College, which is now Heartland College in Oklahoma City. At the time, it was in San Dimas here. Mm-hmm. And um, as I, you know, just considered the claims of God on my life, um, I, I said, "Well, I'm open to be, I'm open to being a pastor if that's what the Lord would have for me." Mm-hmm. And um, 
and such. So at any rate, it was kind of a gradual thing. And the way that it actually happened was doors opened for me to be able to be in the ministry. Right. So I was going to, I was asked by my, my home pastor as I was graduating fourth, for my fourth year with my bachelor's. He asked me to come back and be his associate pastor, which I was very excited about. Large church, about 800 people or so. And uh, this just seemed like um, a, a really good opportunity. That was my home church anyway, the church that I knew. Um, well, I'm getting ahead of myself a little bit, but I'll just talk about how I got here at Sovereign Grace. Sure, yeah. There was a, a friend of mine, Ron Martina, who had taken over this particular church. And he was now the pastor, first-year pastor. He's 10 years older than me. Uh, he was a single man. And he asked me if I would come and set up a Sunday school for him. And uh, he, he sold it by saying, it's going to be a really good experience for you. When you do that, you'll have some ministry experience behind you. And so I was willing to do that. The one problem was he was a Calvinist, hmm. and I was not. Uh, I actually argued against Calvinism. We had a few Calvinists in the school. I didn't like them. <laughs> I didn't talk to them. In fact, Ron and I had, a, had really didn't have a falling out, but Ron and I really were, didn't talk to each other anymore after being pretty close our first year uh, because he was a Calvinist and he was hung with the Calvinist. I didn't like those guys, you know. But um, long story short, he asked me to come and I said, well, you know, and then he said to me, he says, you know, I'm a Calvinist, right? I said, yeah, I don't really care about that anymore. And he said, okay, good. <laughs> and that just shows, you know, in 1977, we just didn't understand and didn't have all, all of the understanding that the Lord's been pleased to give us since then. Sure. So, so how, I went there. Go ahead. Oh, I'm sorry. Oh, I'm sorry. Oh, go ahead and ask. Yeah. Well, I was going to say, when did uh, Sovereign Grace begin then as a church? You, you, you came around in 1977. Uh, it had existed prior to that, though. Oh, yes, yes. Yeah, the church here actually was was started as a Baptist Bible Fellowship Church, uh, a missions plant that they set up. The fellow that started the church, I actually know him. He's with the Lord now, but um, I, I had a chance to get to know him pretty well. Uh, he was a builder by trade. He bought the land out here, hmm. and he built our house that we live in. He, bought, he built the first church building, and then he built the second and third church buildings. Hmm. And so he did a great job, but he left in in about 1974, okay, and um, the church went through a lot of changes. A lot of things were happening, and uh, we were up at a, a different church. Ron and I. It's a little confusing, but uh, we had a little church of about 30 that uh, I went to. This church had about 80, and uh, their pastor decided to leave, and asked Ron if we could merge the two churches together. Mm-hmm. So we didn't have a building. And uh, they did. So we came down here to Ontario. We were in Rancho, Cucamonga. Oh, I see. Yeah. We came down here to to Ontario. And uh, from that time on, that's where we've been. Wonderful. You know? Yeah. Well, how did it work out then with you teaching at the uh, the school there at the church, being a, uh, a non-Calvinist and even an anti-Calvinist, and yet the <laughs> pastor being a Calvinist? <clears throat> how did that well, all go? That, that is an interesting story that I, I love to tell. Because um, Ron and I did quite well for a long time because he was a friend 
And he was a good preacher, and he still is a good preacher. He's in Omaha and Nebraska now, uh, excellent preacher. And um, what happened was um, he, Al Martin came to Long Beach, and Ron had a chance to go hear Al Martin in Long Beach. And all of a sudden, he came back very different. Mm-hmm. Al Martin is an old-time Reformed Baptist preacher from mm-hmm. New Jersey. Ron came back very different. His preaching changed. His methodology changed. And I didn't like it. Mm-hmm. I didn't like it at all. And it was just all the things that I was afraid was going to happen. Because Ron, knew, Ron was a Calvinist, but he didn't know how to, to practice like a Calvinist. Mm-hmm. And so when he met Al Martin and then some other people, uh, everything changed. So one Wednesday night after prayer meeting, uh, Ron and I were in his office with a third man that was just there. And uh, we got into it. We started fighting, you know. Mm-hmm. Becky was sick that night, so she didn't come. Uh, Ron, very demonstrative Italian fellow, always working with his hands, always writing things down. And yeah. he's on his chalkboard writing as fast as he can and, and arguing. And I'm using all my anti-Calvinist arguments. And the the other guy who was a church member was just standing there with his mouth open, just uh, not sure. sure what to do. <laughs> and I was fighting against Ron. And we, we stayed till midnight arguing. And I left upset. And Ron was upset. And I knew I was going to have to resign from the church. I got home. And Becky was asleep. I didn't wake her up because she loved the church. I didn't want to tell her what happened. But we I didn't feel like we really had a choice. So I just went to bed. And then I woke up in the morning. And my first conscious thought was, Steve, why are you fighting against the truth? Hmm. And my mind instantly switched. All the arguments that I used against the doctrines of grace now became precious to me. And um, I instantly saw the truth of the doctrines of grace and the beauty of it, called Ron up on the phone. And of course, he expected me to resign. And I told him, I see it. I believe, I believe in the doctrines of grace. I, you know, I'm a five point Calvinist. And Ron goes, whoa, I, okay, we'll study this together because I'm, I think limited atonement's true too, but I'm, I really can't defend it yet. So from that time on, we did study together and uh, grew together and, and learned together and did so all the way to 1989. Okay. When, so, mm-hmm. what year was it that you uh, came to to believe in the doctrines of grace, Steve? Do you remember? Yeah, it was 1978. 78. Okay. It was about uh, four months before I was going back to Tucson, and I had to call my my pastor, who I still love back there, and he's believe it or not, he's still pastoring hmm. that same church, <laughs> the Fundamentalist Church that you were referring yeah, to. Yeah, Fundamentalist yeah. Church. Yeah, hmm. yeah, he's still pastoring that same church. And I had to call him and, and tell him I'm not going to be coming back. And uh, he wasn't happy. Yeah. He was pretty unhappy about that. But we patched it up over the years. I preached in that church before since then. Hmm. And, um, you know, he, he we'd said a, we've gone out to eat a few times, and he'll tell me, I'm a four-point Calvinist. That's what he'll say. I'm a four-point Calvinist, Steve. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, okay. And you can say cruel things about that if you want. Say, well, then you're not a Calvinist at all, if you <laughs> if you want to. But I wouldn't do that. So sure, I, I sure. respect him greatly. He's a, he's a great man, and it was very helpful to me. Well, how have, how have things been at uh, Sovereign Grace over the years um, since the time you just described uh, to us? How have things gone with the church? I know that is such a broad and general question. You could go just about anywhere with that, Steve. But I guess my hope is that you can maybe provide us with a little bit of, um, of a sense of, of 
of your your church where you pastor? Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, God's grace has really been good, but it hasn't always been easy. Um, in those early days, we were very probably stage cage Calvinists that mm-hmm. people talk about, and it probably drove people away. We we had a church of about 120. By the time the the reform was finished, and we took the name Sovereign Grace Baptist Church mm-hmm. in 1982, we were down to about 40 people. Mm-hmm. So from 120 to 40, with people leaving one at a time, well, usually one family at a time, then grab another family and take them with them, is the way that it went down. And um, it was really hard. So throughout the 80s, um, it was difficult here. Ron was the main preaching pastor. Um, I was a co-elder and preached and also and, and taught at times. And so he was the main preaching pastor. He resigned in 89, which caused another um, crisis for the church. It had been a very tumultuous decade, and he resigned, and uh, I became the preaching pastor at that time. And we were down to about 35 people at that point, you know. But, you know, God's been merciful to them. I'm talking about attendance. I'm not talking about members. Right. I'm talking about 35 people that were attending. And um, from that time on, it's been a slow, steady progress. We'll probably have 140, 150 in church on a Sunday now. Um, we have just shy of 100 members. Mm-hmm. And uh, God's been very, very good to us, a very mature congregation, well settled in what they believe. Uh, God's brought new people in. There are a few people that have been here longer than I have, mm-hmm. uh, a handful now. You know, some of them I've had to preach their funerals that uh, have been here longer than me. But uh, like I think of Pat Quick, Pat and Debbie Quick, they've mm-hmm. been here longer yeah. than I have. And, and Pete and Pam Tiafilo, same thing for them. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, yeah, it, God has been really good to us here at Sovereign Grace. I think at this point, it's not that uh, the devil doesn't attack. It's not that problems don't happen. But um, at this point, I would say we live in a time of peace. Mm-hmm. And for that, we can be very thankful. That's wonderful. Well, I always enjoy um, being at Sovereign Grace. You you host the quarterly once a year. Yeah. And uh, your people are very sweet and uh, they're, they're very Amen. good servants, and uh, so I always enjoy being there, and I know our people do too who come out for that particular quarterly. Sure. Um, I wonder, Steve, if you could then now uh, transition to the topic of uh, the Southern California Association of Reformed Baptist Churches and and give us some sense about uh, how that association came to be. I'll be glad to do so. And, of course, your church is, is part of our local association, uh, and – you know, it, it's got an interesting history behind it. In about 1988, there was a pastor's fellowship, and you probably know some of these guys that were part of that because Earl Blackburn was out here in Southern California at that time, and so was Larry Vincent. Mm-hmm. And uh, then there was myself, and then, like I said, Ron Martina. And uh, we would fellowship together and get together once a month and then we'd have uh, other guys that we would reach out to, and some of them would come and some of them wouldn't come. Interestingly enough, we actually had Greg Bonson come to one of those meetings hmm. uh, while he was in Southern California before he went to be with the Lord. And a very gracious man, by the way. You know, he doesn't have that reputation, but he is, you know, or was. Um, at any rate, um, there was another Reformed Baptist church. I'll, they'll remain nameless. Um, 
they were having all kinds of problems. They were the big one. They were they had a lot of a lot of people, but they were bleeding people quickly, and uh, they were and the people were leaving, and um, and as they would be as they would leave, they'd be put under church discipline for leaving the church, mm. and of course here now you have godly people that their only crime was feeling like their church was too authoritarian. And I guess the church kind of proved it by disciplining them when they would leave. Hmm. Not every one of them would be disciplined, but that was a very common thing that would happen. And of course, we take church discipline very seriously. So now what do we do with these people that wanted to come to our various churches? Of course, uh, we accepted them and tried to talk to to the other church, uh, much to no avail, basically. And really, it was Earl Blackburn that was the impetus to this. He said, you know, we really need to do something to stop this this type of authoritarianism that was happening, not just in Southern California, but it was actually happening around the country. Hmm. There, was a, there was a brand of authoritarianism that we felt was very unhealthy. But uh, Earl, being a, a pretty good scholar, also knew that uh, our confession of faith uh, talks about what churches should do when there's times of controversy. And um, so we began to, to talk about forming an association. I can mention what an association is if you'd like, Joe. Um, yeah, I think that would be great, Steve. Yeah, an association, it's really important. And, and it was a new concept to myself and Larry Vincent, and then later Larry Smith, who would take over for Larry Vincent. Um, it was a new concept to us. Because we were used to fellowships. And, of course, in a fellowship, really it's a pastor's fellowship is what you have. And that's what we were doing was a pastor's fellowship. We were aware of denominations. Mm-hmm. We were, had no use for denominations because, obviously, Christ died for the church and gave himself for the church. Didn't die for the denomination and gave himself for the denomination. Uh, although that's another story too, sure. but I won't go there. <laughs> okay. So anyway, it's the local church that we felt was very important, but we also didn't like conventions. A, a convention didn't seem like the route to go. And we found that um, in the early days, the Baptists had associations, mm-hmm. um, the Philadelphia Association. Uh, there was the Red Creek Association, a lot of associations. We, we were f- focusing in on the history of some of our American associations and um, as we did so, we said, this is what we need to do. Now, on the East Coast, they had tried to start an association. They called it uh, Reformed Baptist Association. And so they attempted to, to start that. And, and Dave Dykstra was one of the, the key figures there and, and some other men too. Hmm. But it, it really – it grew in numbers, but it never grew into be what they had hoped it would be. It actually became a pastor's fellowship. Okay. And, uh, yeah. and it didn't really meet the need of an association. And so we saw that happening too and said, okay, we want an association where our churches are, are absolutely independent, but we also have a dependency on one another. In other words, we're going to – the main reason was to stamp out authoritarianism. We didn't want our people to be able to or to to be oppressed and have an authoritarian spirit uh, that would hinder them. And so there were only three of us, and then another man came along, Rick Kellen, 
who is no longer in the ministry, um, there, were, there were four of us that worked on a constitution to put a constitution together so that we could have accountability one with another. But the one thing that was true was um, the local church did make the final decision. Mm-hmm. If they were going to discipline somebody or whatever it happened to be, um, the local church had the, the authority to do that. But the association had the authority uh, to call that church to account, tell them they were wrong, and uh, couldn't unchurch them, but could remove them from the association and, um, and accept these people into our churches. So that was the genesis of it. And it actually took until 1990 for us to form that association. And uh, we were, again, learning and, and struggling and trying to find out about associationalism and what it really meant. And that would be a process that would continue. But there were four churches that started the association. Uh, during that first year, one of those churches went out of um, existence and folded. So there were only three. And then before we had our next um, year, our final, our first year anniversary, uh, Palmdale Reformed Baptist Church with Rich Barcellus joined, and uh, they became four again. So that was that was the way it started, and we were the only association that was functioning that we know of in the United States uh, that uh, is Reformed Baptist. Mm-hmm. Of course, there are other associations, but we were the only Reformed Baptist association, and um, actually became the impetus to start a national association along with some of the other men that had been part of the Reformed Baptist Association back east. Uh, they had saw they saw that didn't work, but they saw what we were doing, that it did work. And so they um, got together and uh, decided to form ARBCA. Maybe you could say a word about that, Steve, um, uh-huh. the, the relationship uh, that exists between SCAR BC um, and ARBCA, the Association of Reformed Baptist Churches of America. I know there is no real formal relationship, um, mm-hmm. but you've already alluded to the fact that there is some kind of uh, informal relationship that exists between the two associations. Uh, maybe you could speak to that a little bit more. Oh, sure. I'd be glad to do so. Um, I really believe a local association can in, meet some needs that a national association can't. Mm-hmm. Because a local association, everybody knows each other. Uh, in a case, in a place like Southern California, we actually live in close proximity with each other that our people can get to know each other. And that, that's a wonderful thing. That doesn't always happen. Um, some associations, local associations are more widespread than that. But uh, a national association can do some things that are very hard for a local association to do too. Um, a national association just by the the sheer manpower is able to have a seminary, for instance, uh, is able to support missionaries and, and able to work together cooperatively that way. And so there's a great need for a national association, and ARBCA fits that need. And we have, have uh, always said all along there's a great need for local associations. And, and Joe, they've sprung up all over the United States, I'm glad to say. Yeah, uh, there are some folks like uh, I think of my friend Doug Vandermeulen up in North Dakota, mm-hmm. who was trying to call me while we were talking. <laughs> <laughs> he he um, would love to be part of an association, 
but it takes more than one church to be an association, doesn't it? So yeah, yeah. working really hard. He's trying to plan another church in Valley City, mm-hmm. in North Dakota. Um, and then there's a, a good man over in Montana. They're talking about um, getting an association together. You know, you really kind of have to have three churches at least to have an association and, and make it work. You could do it with two, but three would be the minimum number I would expect that would be a functioning association. And then, of course, you can grow from there. The most important thing is to have a solid foundation. And that's what the 1689 London Baptist Confession is for us. Right. Um, you know, we, we all say we believe the Bible. Everybody believes the Bible. Uh, Mormons believe the Bible. Jehovah's Witnesses believe the Bible. What, what do you believe the scriptures teach? That's, that's really what it amounts to. And the London Baptist Confession is our framework, our skeleton that gives us that doctrinal unity, and then it, it binds us together mm-hmm. with like-minded folk. So our churches, especially our local churches, can have very different flavors to them. They can have different personalities, just like people have different personalities, yet there's the same doctrinal understanding. And that's why we appreciate our, our fellowship with you down at Emmaus and mm-hmm. and uh, great addition to our local association and, and Lord willing, be a great addition to the National Association. They, they are not identical. We have um, local association churches that are not part of ARBCA. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, that's just – and that's fine. You can that, – that can be done. But uh, as a general rule, you'd expect over time – most of your local association churches, or maybe all of them, would also be part of the national association too, and uh, and walk, work together cooperatively that way. Right. Well, thank I you. Hope for I that. answered your question there. You did. Mm-hmm. That was very very well put, Steve. I appreciate mm-hmm. it. So yeah. the the local association, SCARBC, uh, mm-hmm. started in 1990. Right. So that makes it almost 28 years old, I guess. Uh, I don't know yeah. Yeah, about oh. that. Uh, it makes me feel old. Yeah. <laughs> um, and there are currently nine churches in, in right. SCAR BC. Uh, let me put the question this way, Steve, um, and, and, uh, and, and you can go with it where you want to go with it. Um, when you look at the growth of, of SCAR BC, do you consider it to be rapid or slow? Uh, what, what is your perception of the, the growth of the Southern California Association? Uh, or maybe mm-hmm. maybe you haven't even thought about that. I don't know. No, I've thought about it. Obviously, we, you know, when you figure that you start, we started with four, and then we're down to three, mm-hmm. and now we're nine, and we have been ten. There have been churches that have gone out of existence that have been part of SCARB. Mm-hmm. Uh, there have been other churches that uh, broke broke fellowship um, uh, in in a friendly way, but uh, are no longer part of, of SCARB for various reasons. And I don't think we'll ever be huge. Mm-hmm. Um, that's really not even the goal. I mean, obviously, we'd love to have Reformed Baptist Church in every city if we could. But I'm very encouraged because I look at the map of Southern California and uh, go from San Diego all the way up to Palmdale. Mm-hmm. And um, there would only be a, a few small areas where somebody would be more than a half hour away from one of our our SCARBC churches, that's kind of amazing. You know, here in Southern California with our freeways, we can drive. And, you know, I don't, wherever, even if you lived in San Diego, you can make it up to Vista, you know, and depends on where in San Diego you lived. But, uh, you know, nonetheless, um, a half hour 
drive would put you at one of our churches. And then another thing a local association does too is it keeps us – we realize we're not in competition with one another. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. There's, there's millions and millions of people here in Southern California. We don't need to be fighting over individuals. You know, we allow – we have people that um, drive – that live right in our area. They drive to another church, and that's fine. We have other people that live, you know, further away, drive past other churches and come here. And that is a preference. That's just uh, whatever God would have and what the people want to do. But it's important that our churches communicate with one another, that we're not in competition with one another, and that uh, we, you know, speak well of one another, give our conscientious commendation, uh, even share pulpits from time to time as the Lord allows and those sorts of things. And, of course, quarterly gatherings are a wonderful way for our people to get to know each other. Sure, yeah. And um, bring in good preachers or even use our own preachers who are good preachers. Mm-hmm. And it works, you know. Yeah. My prayer is that we would have the opportunity to plant more churches here in Southern California. There are so many people. Mm-hmm. Uh, certainly, we, we could uh, really never have enough churches, uh, you know, even if the yeah. Lord were really to to bless us with the ability to plant uh, very many of them. Um, but it's a difficult task, I think, especially given the requirement mm-hmm. that churches fully subscribe to the Second London Confession. I mean, so mm-hmm. th- there has to be a very high level of doctrinal agreement and, and unity, and, and I'm sure um, that has had something to do with the relatively uh, slow uh, growth within the, the association over 28 years. Um, yeah, that's right. That's but, right. But I appreciate that you've already spoken to that, Steve, that it's that agreement that we have over the Second London Confession that enables us to work very closely uh, with mm-hmm. one another. And so how important it is that we maintain that and make um, you know, our, our, our unity and our doctrinal fidelity um, a, a very high priority and not always look to just grow bigger and bigger and bigger. Some have asked me, only nine mm-hmm. churches in this association in all of Southern California, yeah. Um, mm-hmm. But there's a reason for it, and I think the reasons are good. Uh, you know. Yeah, we're also one of the, believe it or not, we're one of the bigger associations that exist. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure where Georgia and Texas are. They're ones that are close to us in size, and maybe they've surpassed us. I'm not quite sure. But, um, you know, uh, I'm an, I'm, I always look at myself as a kid and a young guy. And then people remind me that I'm not. Uh-huh. <laughs> I just remember there's a generation of Reformed Baptists that uh, preceded me, mm-hmm. you know, basically. And now so many of them are going to be with the Lord and, and such like that. But I, I can remember, seriously, when you could count uh, on two hands the number of Reformed Baptist churches there were west of the Mississippi. Sure. Yeah. It just There just weren't any, you know. We didn't have any real mentors that could help us when we became Reformed. Uh, we we learned by trial and error and listening to tapes and and doing the best we could. You know, made a lot of mistakes. Yeah, and uh, that's just the truth. And you know, that's why those those early '80s were so difficult. A lot of it we brought it on ourselves. We didn't know. Yeah, we didn't understand. I, I hear that theme a lot when I'm listening to some of the older men, the older pastors. Um, you know, mm-hmm. when they speak, they talk often about how this uh, younger generation uh, has, in some ways, a, a great advantage. You know, in that mm-hmm. there's there's a seminary that's being established, and there are so many resources that are available to to us and to them um, mm-hmm. now that just weren't there. 
uh, 30 years ago. Uh, so That's praise right. the Lord for that. Uh, what Amen. a blessing. And I hope, I hope the younger generation does take advantage of that and, and um, uh, not take it for granted, all, mm-hmm. that, all that we do have. There have been so many things that have been discovered by Dr. Renahan and, and others mm-hmm. that we just didn't know existed. Um, the computer has, do, has done this to a great extent because about all the only works being printed were Presbyterian works. Well, that's what we read. That's all we had. Uh, we didn't know anything about Benjamin Cox, Nehemiah Cox, um, Keach, Kiffin. Just didn't know, you right, know. Right. And but now with the plethora of um, things being able to be put on the internet, and men that have been able to study, and go to go to places and, and study. You know, truthfully, when we became a Reformed Baptist, we didn't have. Um, a, a really great regard for the London Baptist Confession of Faith. We we knew it existed, and we saw it. Okay, here's something that can help us, you know. And um, but to actually subscribe or even have a a sense of subscribing to a confession of faith that was a very foreign concept. We had to learn that, hmm. and, and we learned it over time. So try to be. I try to be patient when people don't understand because. We didn't understand. Right, you know, right. People need to be taught. <laughs> well, that's good, Steve. You know? That is one of the benefits of coming from a different tradition or having had to learn things along the way. I, th- I think it makes it a little easier to be patient with those who, mm-hmm. who aren't where you're at now because you do understand the uh, difficulty of the journey yourself having sure. uh, experienced it. Um, Steve, how has uh, this association benefited you as a pastor? Oh, it's it's been tremendous, you know. It's been a tremendous blessing because um, I consider myself, you know, uh, I was very young. I, I consider myself young when I finally stepped into the role as the, the main preaching pastor. And yet uh, there were these guys that uh, I could fellowship with and learn from and, and work with. Um, like I said, Earl Blackburn, Lawyer Vincent, uh, we were all pretty close. And, uh, you know, the churches, the commendation of one another was great. The counsel that we could get was great. Our people realizing that it's not just uh, 40 of us inside the walls of this building, but look, we can gather together with these other churches. And now, wow, there's 150 of us. And that was pretty exciting to us, you know. <laughs> and and that just that's how small we were. And, and that's how the world would consider us so insignificant and still does. But um, an opportunity to, to grow together and learn together and appreciate one another. Just, you know, and that accountability has been great over the years, too. You know, it's, it's very helpful that we're not lone rangers out here all by ourselves. But we've got brethren that pray for us and care for us and will help us when they need to. I got desperately ill uh, in the 90s, uh, early in 1990, and probably had to be out of the pulpit for, oh, maybe three months. Hmm. And uh, here were men that would come and fill our pulpit for us. And uh, that was encouraging to our people. And, and uh, you know, I think, I think I've only missed one Sunday because of illness since then. Maybe oh, two, wow. yeah. <laughs> but that was a re- really rough go there, and uh, but the association really helped, you know. So, how have you seen the association help to advance uh, Christ's kingdom? C- you know, c- could you speak to that a little bit, Steve? Because you went from 
four churches to three to four. And I don't know if you have all of this by memory, mm-hmm. but now now there are nine. Mm-hmm. Uh, so how did that happen? Uh, can you describe that at all? Because that is multiplication there and, and something to rejoice yeah. in. Yeah, yeah, it is. Like I say, the one the one church that went out of existence. That was a it was a very weak church to begin with. But we in in the local association, as in Arbka, uh, we don't worry about the size of the church um, uh, per se. Now there, there comes a point of ridiculousness, of course. But uh, a church of 20 is a, a church of Jesus Christ, and so we know that. But uh, they're going to be in a, a weaker position. Uh, you're, you're well aware of our brethren up at Mountain Reformed, who our association is, our local association has helped out tremendously. Congregation of about 25 people, precious people and, and uh, really godly people, but uh, small. And because they're in an isolated mountain community, probably always will be small unless the Lord were to do something unusual. And so, you know, it doesn't matter about the size of the church, but the way the churches have grown, it's going to sound a little trite, but it's true, um, one by one, you know, one by one. We get to meet, usually we get to meet the pastor. The pastor uh, is interested in the doctrines of grace. There'll be some kind of informal, usually kind of informal mentoring process that will go on in a learning process and it teaches church and uh, come to some quarterly gatherings or people see the quarterly gatherings. And um, it, it's been, been organic like that, you know, just one by one. And um, there have been many, many church, not many, I shouldn't say many, many, but there have been a number of churches that have been part of SCARB uh, that are no longer, they are no more, you know. And uh, there was a church in Pasadena, very large church um, by our standards, a couple hundred people, and uh, they are no more. And, um, you know, it, it happens. And um, people get discouraged by that sometimes. Um, but I like to say, you know, look, in, look at the New Testament uh, and look at all those churches that uh, the epistles were written to where are any of those churches today? At one point, they all went out of existence. You know, none of them have, have survived. Even Rome didn't. <laughs> Romans, nope. <laughs> Not the Church of Rome. You know, um, if their doctrine lined up with it, then we'd be more inclined to agree. But it doesn't. Um, so, you know, their churches do go out of existence. But um, people, the church itself never goes out of existence. So other churches rise up and uh, sometimes it works out for them to be in the local association sometimes it doesn't sometimes they find something else or or nothing else you know but um that's that's about all i could say it it, we're we're more a little more informal than arbka is and we can be because we know each other Mm -hmm. but we try to what we try to do is make sure that each church that comes into SCARB has a sister sponsoring church. Mm-hmm. And that sponsoring church is going to help them and mentor them and make sure that their, their doctrine is, is correct. Um, that's, we do the same thing in ARBCA, the National Association, but we have a membership committee in the National Association that, that works with churches. Our local association doesn't have a membership committee. Instead, we work on a more informal basis. 
and uh, pair pair churches up with other churches and and uh, you know I think that's really a good way to do it because we can do it that way because we're small enough and we can know each other well. Right, right. <clears throat> well, Steve, I know we, we have been very blessed to be a part of the Southern California Association. It's only been a short time, Amen. but the process of me hanging around and getting to know guys, you know, mm-hmm. uh, over time organically, <clears throat> as, you, mm-hmm. as you said, and the process of us as a church, uh, you know, coming into the association, being received in and being in it now for a little over a year. It's been a tremendous mm-hmm. blessing in all the ways that you have uh, just described. Yes. Um, it's been wonderful. And now for us to be applying for membership in ARBCA, we're also very excited about that. And, Amen. And we are excited about how the National Association, uh, because it is larger, um, is is able to um, uh, work on church planting, the sending out of missionaries, and mm-hmm. the establishment of a seminary. So when I look on ARBCA's website and I see uh, the local uh, missions page, and I think there are five church plants that are listed on there currently. Mm-hmm. I, that's very mm-hmm. encu- that's very encouraging, and yeah, it's exciting right. to be able to come alongside and and to to help out and to pray for and to support those works. Um, because uh, five new churches spread across this country, it might seem like a very insignificant number to some, but it, it's substantial in my mind. Well, it is for a Reformed Baptist Church to start as a Reformed Baptist Church. Well, it was I was almost unheard of. It, I'd, I'd have to say it was unheard of in the 80s. I don't know any – there might have been some, but I don't know of any Reformed Baptist churches that, that were planted as Reformed Baptist churches. It's not rare anymore. Um, there, there are a number that we could name and some that are being planted still. Right. But, yeah. uh, you know, and uh, we've, we've had our hand in church planning. Thankfully, we sent uh, Bob Curley to to Texas, you know, mm-hmm. and helped with uh, Laurie Vincent's church there to plant it. Emmanuel Reformed Baptist Church. We've had um, Redeemer Reformed Baptist Church that started in Redlands with my co-pastor, Jeff Massey, who was with me for 14 years here mm-hmm. in Ontario. And now he's he's there and that, now they're in San Bernardino. But, uh, you know, that's that's a tremendous thing. And uh, more church plants are, are on the way, you know, and being planned up in the Northwest. We have them, Arizona um, the Gilbert Church in Arizona, very, very active in church planting. Mm-hmm. The Lord's using them greatly. I really believe church planting is probably the way the Lord is going to bless us in this next couple of decades um, instead of um, churches becoming reformed, although obviously we still want that to happen too. Mm-hmm. But that can be a very painful process. Sure, Not as painful as it used to be because now men have other men they can talk to and realize that uh, you do sometimes have to take it slow. You can't uh, just expect people to come along because you came along. Mm-hmm. You have to lead them along, you know. And people will rebel against the doctrines of grace. It goes against our nature. Sure. You know. <laughs> but um, patience really pays off. And I've seen churches come to reform and not lose anybody, you know, or, or lose maybe just a handful of people. And that's wonderful. It's been my privilege to be the on the membership committee of ARBCA since 2002 and um, to be the chairman since 2008. And, um, you know, it's just a wonderful thing to talk to the churches and talk to the men and make long-lasting friendships that way and uh, go to the GA and you got 100 friends, you know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's yeah, a wonderful yeah. thing. It is. It's a wonderful thing. Privilege, you know. <laughs> well, Steve, I knew this was going to be a good 
a good interview. Um, I've I've always enjoyed talking with you. You've uh, over the years Likewise. have been so so uh, so kind and gracious. Uh, you take your time with me, uh, and and that that's been true for for years now. And Amen. Uh, it's been very appreciated. And and so I just knew that in interviewing you, that would come through, and I think that it has. Um, but. Who knows how the Lord will use this little episode that we send out to who knows who and, and where it goes. I, I don't know. But I hope that it's an encouragement to some who are listening in and who are thinking okay. through issues of uh, of church polity. Um, mm-hmm. my, my prayer is that they would consider uh, what we're talking about here. And Chapter 26 of our London Baptist Confession of Faith. That's, that's the one we really need to get to know well. Yeah, uh, That's where we talk about our polity. And Joe, I really appreciate you. I want you to know that. You know, from the first time we met, I was impressed and thought that the Lord may do great things, and he has. Hmm. Well, thank you, Steve. I appreciate that mm-hmm. very much. And uh, to the listener, I would just say thank you for listening into this particular episode. Um, I'm sure you can contact either Steve or myself. It wouldn't be hard to find us if you'd like to, if you have any more questions. Um, uh, but uh, do please check back with us regularly. And until then, I would encourage you all to abide in Christ. God bless. God bless.